Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, welcome to the podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Kayleen Potter. Welcome to the podcast, Kayleen. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Will you spell your first name and pronounce it for us? Yes, it's K-E-L-L-E-E-N, and it's Kayleen. Welcome to the podcast, Kayleen. And Thank you. By way of introduction, I've known this good woman for two or three years since I stepped in the space of trying to understand LGBTQ. She's a mom of five children and two identify as LGBTQ. She raised her, is raising her family in Heber City and is currently serving as the mayor in yeah. year two of a four-year term. Correct. So I don't know what they call you in an official capacity, Mayor Potter. Yeah, they do. <laughs> well, that's cool. So you're the first mayor that we've had on the podcast. Oh, great. And it's an honor to have you here. And um, we're going to just talk maybe about two or three subjects. I think um, your story as a mother of two, a transgender daughter and a gay son, will be helpful for our listeners. And you've been navigating this road for um, several years. Yeah. And so I think that'll be helpful for other parents that are new to this road or LGBTQ members, local leaders, and what, you, what you've learned and what you've experienced and what you can teach us. And we'd also like to hear about, it's just ending Pride Month. It, we're recording this podcast in early July, and as our listeners may know, June is Pride Month. And you had pride flags flying in Heber City. We did. And um, that's really cool. We're going to reference a Desert News article about that. And that generated, as you, I'm sure you anticipated, some controversy. So we'd love to hear you talk about that. Great. But introduce our fam your family to us, the number of kids you have and the two that are LGBTQ. Okay. So my oldest son is Daniel. He's 22 and lives in Park City, and he's gay. And he came out when he was about 14. My second son is Benjamin, and he is 20, and he's on a mission in Ukraine, just past his halfway mark. Um, is there just one mission in Ukraine? Do you know that? No, he's in the Kiev mission. Kiev mission. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's another one. Okay. They dissolved one not I too knew long they ago. dissolved one yeah. that was sort of under fire from yeah, exactly. another country. But Moms we won't don't go. like to hear that their kid's in a place <laughs> under martial law. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so he's there. Um, the next one is my transgender daughter, whose name is Faye. And she just turned 18 on Saturday. And then I have a 15-year-old daughter named Hannah. And I have an 11-year-old daughter named Abigail, who we adopted from China. That's great. What beautiful names. We have two of those same names in our family. We have an Abigail uh -huh. and a Benjamin. Oh, great. I and, love the names. And love those names. Talk about um, who came out first, your trans daughter or your gay son, and just tell us your journey, because as an active LDS mom, that's kind of a curveball, and there's not a lot of resources. And just help our listeners with your story. Okay, so my son, he started struggling a lot when he was 12, and we didn't really know what was going on because he was just the model citizen child, and then all of a sudden just wasn't doing so well. But when he was 14, we had a few indicators, but I just wasn't going there because I thought he had a girlfriend <laughs> when he was a young boy. I thought he likes girls. Um, anyway, so when he came out, he went to the bishop, um, and that was when he was 14, and 
our bishop, who, like me, wasn't educated on this issue, told him that he wasn't gay. He said, you're not gay. You just have these talents like fashion and photography, and those things will bless your life if you let them, but don't listen to the world and have them tell you that you're gay. Well, that was really hard for him because he was looking for some support and, you know, someone to confide in and that didn't go well. And he confided in another person who also it didn't go well. So he just started really struggling. One of those people, not the bishop, but the other person talked to me and told us. And again, we kind of had some indication. So I had taken him to different therapists and I still was just thinking that he was being teased. And so he was confused and one therapist said to me, that's really high risk. Like boys don't typically just try that on for size unless they really feel like that's how they, they are. Um, so that's the, pretty interesting. Yeah. Why would anybody at age 12 yeah. want to take on a label of gay? Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and I, of course, I didn't know anyone who was gay. My, um, we had a cousin who was gay, but I didn't really know him. It was, you know, from the other side of the family. I didn't, so I didn't know him. I just knew of him. Um, I just didn't know anything about it. I only knew what I'd learned from the church and from the miracle of forgiveness. And that's all I knew. And so, but I did know I had a friend who had married someone who was gay and I knew he'd gone to his church leaders when he was younger and they told him to get married. And anyway, that didn't work out eventually. I knew he didn't choose it and I knew he couldn't change it. Those were the two things that I knew, but I, how did you know that? I knew he didn't choose it because I'd heard about this other guy. And once I saw all these things with my son, I just, I just felt it. I just thought he's not choosing this. He does not want this. He's struggling. He's trying so hard to be so perfect. Um, I just knew he didn't choose it. And I didn't believe that it would change. I just felt like it's not going to change. But I did believe. Why, Why did you think it wasn't going to change? I think it's because of, of what I'd heard from my friend about how this this ex-husband of hers had gone to the different church leaders and they said, well, don't worry, once you get married, it'll go away. So I'd kind of heard of a few stories that were people at a distance that I didn't know personally who had tried, who had done all the things they were told and ended up, you know, divorced or moving away and, and choosing to, um, you know, either leave the church or find a partner. And so I just didn't feel like he was going to change. And so I, but I did believe that there would be answers in the church for me to find. I thought, well, there's got to be something. There's got to be a place for him. I couldn't bear the thought. Actually, early on when I went to a, found a therapist, I'm Lisa Hansen, and she was in school at BYU getting her PhD. And a friend said, I know someone who's studied, who's learning and trying to help kids, you know, who are gay in the church. And she told me that the research showed that a lot of the happiest people who are gay are ones who had left the church. There weren't, you know, I, I don't remember the exact way she phrased it, but what it, what it came through to my head was he may end up leaving the church and it will maybe be better for him. And I was just devastated because I just couldn't wrap my brain around the idea that it was possible for him to leave the church and it would be better for his life because I just kind of kept wanting him to come, but I saw that it was hurting him. As a matter of fact, there was a time when both Lisa and another therapist he was seeing told me independently, it's really not healthy for him. Like it's hurting his spirituality. And I went, what? And they said, it's hurting the spirituality that exists within him to continue to go right now. So that was kind of a hard truth for me to accept, but I really hard because you yeah. worry about you would worry about his eternal salvation you'd worry about just you know where this what this means for yeah. your family yeah at that are time are you going to be together and 
Yeah. And maybe you've just learned to leave that at the Savior's feet. And Yeah. I've definitely processed that a lot over the last seven, eight years. But at the time, it was hard for me to imagine because I was doing everything in my power to try and keep him close. And you're a return missionary. You've served as in leadership in your stake and wards. Mm-hmm. So you have a great foundation in the church. And talk more about just the journey with Daniel. So he... Did he stay in Heber City? Was the community helpful for him, the high school? Um, did he end up serving a mission or was that just not possible? He went to school in Heber his freshman year. And I know he had some good friends, but I also know that there were some people who were unkind to him. I saw a text one day that said, watch out, homo. And I know that people had thrown things, firecrackers at him out of their car. And I'd heard from other people that people were talking about him. Um, I had a friend whose husband taught at the school and he would overhear conversations. And I think um, there weren't very many people that, it, you know, it's a small town. It you know, it's getting bigger really quickly, but eight years ago, it was still a really small town. I literally did not know anybody to talk to. And so I knew that he was struggling. Was and he out or did people just sense he was gay? So he they was pretty on? out. I don't know that he didn't write like some big Facebook post, I'm out, but he said enough things that pretty much people knew um, because he was, I, I would always say, it's like he was trying to say, well, I'll reject you before you reject me because he was really pushing back. Um, in every way as a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he really starts struggling and kind of going downhill by the end of his freshman year, the beginning of his sophomore year was not doing well. And after, you know, some serious, dangerous episode, we, um, sent him, well, he wanted to go take a week away from school. And I felt like that would be a good idea. And his, um, aunt and uncle are the Hales of Hale Theater in Orem. And so he went and stayed with them because that was a safe place for him to, he loved the theater and he would work there and he was a great worker. And so it was a good thing. And then once he was there, he just wanted to stay down there and go to a different school. So I know he went to Orem High for a year. He came out in seminary. to came the, Orem seminary. High, and he had a great teacher who just showed him love and acceptance. But I think there was some fallout from other kids and ended up having a rough year by the end of the year. Then he found a charter school down there called Walden which a lot of kids in that area go to. Um, I sort of jokingly called it the land of misfit toys because I drove up and thought, oh, these are all these sweet kids that just aren't fitting in the mainstream. And so that school was very diverse and accepting and just, he was a great fit for him. So he ended up leaving home for his three years of high school. And I felt kind of, I mean, I felt really sad and robbed by that because it hurt our, you know, it was hard on our relationship. We didn't get to see him a lot. And during that time, he... um, you know, he really struggled. He hadn't really found a place. And even though he was at that school, he still struggled and ended up, um, I'm only trying to tell the things that I know that he would say publicly. That's fine. (laughs) So I always try to get their permission before I talk about him. Um, he ended up spending eight weeks at a Anasazi kind of a wilderness survival camp at the end of his junior year, which was really good for him. It gave us an opportunity to write letters and communicate and, kind of start, you know, figuring out what was really going on. And basically he was just so hurt because he saw that we, he saw that, I think he knew that we loved him, but we couldn't understand what he was going through. We didn't understand the challenges. We didn't understand what it meant for him in his life. We didn't understand what the doctrines of the church meant for him. We didn't understand his hopelessness about his future. The therapist would tell me, he has no role models. He doesn't see anyone who's, who's living a successful life, 
he doesn't know anyone. He's fragmented. So, so we just didn't get it. You know, I mean, as much as we wanted to, and as much as I adored him and I cried and lost sleep and wanted to be closer to him, um, it just wasn't happening until, um, he was about, I guess he was a senior. That was four years ago and he's 22. So yeah, I called, I had a friend, we were EFY counselors and speakers together and I saw on Facebook that he'd come out. I called him and said, what would you want your mom to know? I just feel like my son's so distant and I'm having a hard time knowing how to help him. And he said, you need to talk to my friend, Wendy. She's a mama dragon and she's start, you know, she's one of the original ones. And, um, so I called her and we spent three hours on the phone, just talking this through. And she told me some of her hard experiences with her child in their ward and community invited me to a retreat of mama dragons in St. George, where they had rented a great big house. And there were 50 women that were going to come for a week. And I didn't know one of them, but I thought, okay, I'm going to go down there and figure this out. I'll just be like Oprah or Barbara Walters and I'll inter interview all of them and I'll find the ones who are active and surely I'll be able to sort this all out and find some answers in the church. And I went down there and it didn't help me with my answers in the church, but it did help me from hearing all of these lived experiences. It helped me have more compassion and understanding of what my son was going through. Um, a lot of kids were going through similar things. A lot of kids, you know, struggled with their value on this earth, with seeing their future, um, you know, self-medicating you know, there were just so many of those things that I started to see the patterns and realized that some of the rhetoric that, that we had been taught was not helpful or true about the, about gay people. And, and it was hurting my child and many other children around the same time I discovered Brene Brown's research and she talked about shame and it just hit me like a brick that, Oh, this is shame. Like he's experiencing a lot of shame and therefore he's not behaving in the healthiest ways and not choosing the best things for his future. Um, and I just began to understand the effect of shame on children, on adults, you know, just, just why that's so unhealthy for everyone to feel shame as opposed to feeling their worth and recognizing that they maybe need to change some behavior. So teach us about shame. So shame is more, there's, it, there's one thing, there's guilt. Guilt is when you think, oh, I did something bad. I got to do better at that. Shame is when you think I am something bad. There's something wrong with me and who I am at my, uh, fundamentally wrong with me. And I think whether the, I don't think it's the intention of the messages that the kids hear in church, but sometimes that's what they hear. And they hear that there's something really wrong with me because what I'm supposed to be is I'm supposed to be straight and I'm supposed to grow up and go on a mission and get married in the temple. But I just, I'm not attracted to the people I'm supposed to be attracted to. And so then when they feel that, they feel the attraction, they recognize the reality of how they're wired. They feel a deep sense of shame that there's something really, really wrong and broken. And it's hard to sort that out and feel like, feel God's love in the middle of all that. So it almost as a matter of survival, they, they, meaning my son and many others that I've talked to, they have to push that away. They can't hear those messages and and feel like they want to live or, or maintain decent mental health. So um, that's what I learned going through that and then learning these things on the side. And I thought that message, it was so shameful for him to feel like he was gay that um, he was just trying to navigate it as a teenager without anybody to talk to. This is very helpful. You're doing a good job of just sharing your journey and 
It's very helpful, and I just sense your sincere heart, your earnest prayers, and wanting to do everything you can, as a mom usually does for her kids. Right. And this is, there's no owner's manual, there's no Relief Society lesson. No. <laughs> and I think we'll develop better tools, and there's probably better tools than there were when you first walked this road. But it's, Absolutely, much better. It's very helpful for you to share. Tell us about Daniel. Tell us why he's an awesome person, his skills, his attributes, his gifts, what he's doing in life. So Daniel That's is... That's kind of a leading question. Yeah, well, and But he I is assume great, he is a great... Yeah. I've never met your son, but I just yeah. sense he's a great man. He's so funny. He's funny. He's smart. He's very charismatic. Um, although this journey kind of derailed him academically, he's been able to find a job as a corporate event planner. And he is skilled at decorating. And I mean, as a young boy, we were building a house. He was nine. And he'd say, Mom, we really need lever doorknobs. And he would pour through the catalogs. And he always could remember everyone's car. And, you know, well, that's so-and-so's car, but the hubcaps are different. Like, he just had a mind for, has an eye for design and for being able to make things beautiful. Anyway, so he's he's finding his way. He's, he's very valued there. He... Um, They've invited him. He just returned from Dubai where he was doing a big conference. He's going to one in Italy. Wow. Um, so they find him and invite him to come. And he's just charming and liked. He he does some um, things in the community in Park City. The I'm friends with the mayor and the council there, and they just love him. They've put him on a board of social justice, which is one of their priorities. He's in a leadership team where he's going through a leadership course and um, – that community has been very accepting and it's been very helpful for him to be able to be there and kind of start exploring his career and his talents. Daniel, if you're listening, you are a great man. As I've met so many of our LGBTQ members, you have unique gifts and attributes and skills. And I love that your mom is, and you've kind of worked this path together and you're both in a good spot. And this is kind of a beautiful story and with, but really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and there may be some difficult chapters ahead, but I sure sense the two of you are walking this together. And to me, that's what our Heavenly Father would want. And the moms so. that I, t when I started to read stories of Mama Dragons and other, I really wanted to read stories of mothers when I first stepped in the space. And I didn't know many LGBTQ people. And I just thought moms know their kids' hearts pretty well. And I've always felt there's kind of a special personal revelation that mom gets for their kids. Yeah. I see that with my own wife sometimes more so than me. And the, the consistent message I seem to get from mothers was love your kid and just leave it at my feet was just sort. And that was relieving a lot to the moms because they said, yeah. I can actually do that. Yeah. I don't know how to make this all work with the church. I don't know how to get him on a mission. I don't know how to navigate his role, but I can just love this, yes. this child of mine and just leave everything at the Savior's feet. I don't know if that resonates for you. Absolutely. And one of the things I heard from many Mama Dragons at that retreat was that their revelation was just love, don't judge. And it is a relief because in your mind, you're thinking, I'm supposed to get him to get an Eagle Scout and they're supposed to go on a mission and get married in the temple. And all of a sudden, every expectation that you had for them and everything you've taught them may no longer be possible for them. And likely won't be that, you know, some go on missions, but I didn't think he would because I saw him starting to struggle early with the church. But um, that is a relief. And that's exactly how I felt is that that was my job. I remember early on Lisa Hansen telling me to try and do something deliberately to show my support for him. And one of the things she suggested was to go to the pride parade. And I was like, oh, 
it's on Sunday and I don't have the pride. And I, and I just couldn't wrap my brain around that. But eventually I did after I met some mama dragons, but, um, it took those kind of things for him to see that I really was trying to jump in and understand this, even though I could say, but I love you. And I don't, you know, I, I won't care about you until I really jumped into it. He couldn't, I just think he couldn't believe it. And, and my heart was, you know, as like you said, a mother's heart and you're seeing this kid and you're seeing, what does this mean for their future? And I guess I never really, I mean, initially for a minute I did, but I never really thought, oh, he's not going to have any hope for, you know, eternal salvation or being, I just couldn't believe in a God that would be so, that just seemed cruel to me. Um, it just didn't seem like a fair trial when I saw that it just, it, it basically, it's like saying you're wired for connection. And the most important thing we do as humans is connect and have relationships. And we talk all the time about family and this great thing. And it's all about that, but it's not going to work for you because you're wired a little bit differently. It just seemed cruel to me. So I couldn't believe, I, I felt like he would be okay with God, but I was having to navigate my way through the church and what that meant for our family and what that meant for him. And how does he get the important lessons that he would have gotten in church? Um, where does he get those things? Because it would be easy to just push away from anything because it was so triggering. And I see that a lot with some of these kids where they're like, anything that was related to the church, it was so triggering and brought up that shame. But there are so many good things that are beneficial and valuable to everyone, of course, inside or outside of the church. And so I worried about all those kind of things. How did you handle any sort of judging you felt for um, having a, a gay son that wasn't on the, you know, doing all the checkbox Mormon things? Yeah. Did you feel a community kind of rallying around you knowing this was kind of hard or did you feel people pulling away and judging you? For the first few years, I didn't really talk about it. That's probably not a sign of weakness, just a sign of reality. Yeah. Cause I just thought, who do I talk to? I had a couple close friends that I would talk to and, and they were supportive, but it was, it's kind of isolating because I felt like, um, I couldn't talk about it at church. As a matter of fact, after he'd been out four years, I was teaching gospel doctrine and it was, um, God is no respecter of persons. And I started talking about how there have always been groups of people over time that we felt like were maybe less than, maybe it was the Gentiles or, you know, in throughout history of religion, there's always sort of like the other people. And I talked about, you know, on the blacks and the priesthood. And I said, and I've learned this myself and I just put it all myself. And it was shortly after, um, our friend's son took his life, Stockton, and he'd been good friends with my transgender daughter. And so that was really raw for me. And I quoted some general authorities on how we need to be more loving. And I talked about how my son was gay. And I'd always felt like those people were other. Um, anyway, I got released that week from my calling. Um, wow. And I thought, you know, and there were a few people that came up and whispered and said, hey, I have a nephew who's gay. But I thought if I had said he had cancer or he'd been in a car accident, it would have been that kind of support and rallying, but it was not that kind of support. And they're good people. I love the people, but they didn't know how to support me in that. And so there were, you know, like I say, a couple of close friends, but most from, for the most part, no. And that's one of the things I just think we can improve is to rally around families that have go through difficult things. You're right. We know how to serve when someone has cancer. I don't want, neither of us are comparing your son to cancer, but when hard things, hard things yeah. happen, we, we don't know what to say. And sometimes we say things really quietly, like, 
But I think we just need to be able to mature and have these kind of conversations. And I also, you know, it's lots of times allies will reach out to me and say, what, what can I do? And I always wish that I could point them to a church um, organization or a church event or a, ch a Thursday night LGBTQ multi-stake support group or where you could show your son that you really care about this issue by getting involved. And that's where pride parades and volunteering in circle or joining mama dragons, which can be a great support group. But I just wish there were more ways that active LDS people could engage in this issue to learn and also show um, our LGBTQ friends that were allies. I, I do too. That's, that was my heartbreak over the years. I thought, why don't they just get up in conference and say, you know, we love you. And, for you families, you know, they're struggling with this. I remember Lisa Hansen saying to me, if we could make them feel safe at church, then they will hear God's call to them. And I've always felt that. I've thought, you know, when she said that, it made sense to me. If they can feel safe, but I don't think that's the case. It can be in some wards, and I know where some people it is, but it wasn't for my kids. Um, and so I do believe, though, that God has a plan for them and He'll guide them, but sometimes they don't they push all of that away when they feel like they're not enough and they don't fit and there's some anger and, you know, we, we see that a lot. Yeah. I, my mission president, I've shared this story before. He, when we got to England, he felt we created a bogeyman of the Church of England. And he oh, felt like our restored oh, yeah. gospel would would actually go better with the people of England if we didn't create a bogeyman and we just sort of stood on our own merits and our own positive message. And so we did a mission conference in a church of England and the vicar and the mission president spoke and he was trying to teach us we could have a fact-based discussion about the difference between the church of England, but we didn't make need to make them the enemy or the bogeyman. Or I think sometimes we think we have to focus our efforts on another group of people to sort of bring our message forward. Yeah. And if we need a bogeyman, we can focus on people that sell their children to sex trafficking or ISIS or governments. Exactly. That, There's enough of that kind of stuff. But I just think we need to mature so we don't see LGBTQ people as the bogeyman. In fact, as I've learned this space, I don't see them as different crew people. I see them as our own people. Absolutely. Um, With good hearts and many talents and so gentle. I mean, not everyone's the same, so that's stereotypical, but especially like the more I've met some of these transgender people, like there's so much fear around that issue. But I look at my sweet Faye and I look at some of the other kids and I think they're just struggling to just try and exist. Like, please be gentle. I don't need Tell to be Tell us the bad about guy. Faye, your transgender daughter. Yeah, so Faye, um, Faye is tall. Faye is six three. So Faye is also extremely intelligent, very witty and fun. And in about eighth grade, started really, really withdrawing, and I could not figure it out because Faye had always been so even tempered and easy. And one day, just wanted to go to the hospital, and I didn't understand it. But she had been, you know, not feeling her will to live anymore. And we went through this quite a bit, a couple weeks here and then a five months at a later time where we did not know what was going on. We didn't know why she was feeling this way. Um, towards the end of the five-month visit, she was home for a visit for just a week, for a day on the weekend. And I read a text and that's how we found out, well, she was struggling with gender dysphoria. Um, so ever since then, it's 
you know, they call it the dead name, the, the name of the, per, when the person changes, but it is like we lost that child, like that yeah. child. And I remember hearing statistics about when people lose a child or the things you go through. And I feel like I lost that child. And now I've gained Faye, who is lovely and beautiful, but is different than our previous son. And it's been a harder road to get to know her closely because as she tries to navigate this. And I remember initially I took her to every kind of provider. We went to, you know, doctor and neuropsychiatrist and chiropractor and energy. And, and then at some point it just hit me and I thought, this is how it is for her. her in her brain, she is a girl. And I, from then on, I thought, I'll support whatever you need because this is who who you are. I don't understand why. I don't understand. Like, you always want to go, well, I mean, people want to say, well, were they, were they abused or was, they you know. They want a backstory. Yeah, they want a backstory because it doesn't fit their worldview because exactly. we haven't been taught anything about that in the church and everyone wants to think that. And we've heard things say that somehow it's evil or whatever, but... I'm certain that it's in her mind, that's who she is. And I don't know if it's part of God's plan and it was a challenge. I mean, another thing that came to me was like, I don't know what they're, I don't even know what they might be accountable for, but I know what I'm accountable for. And I know that I'm accountable to be loving and do whatever I feel prompted to do to show love to them, not only them, but the other people I've met in the community and other kids who need that love from a mom who can completely accept them. That's cool. I'm not sure what they're accountable for, but I know what I'm accountable for. How, what a great concept to just to relieve. Mm-hmm. You know, I tweeted out today, my covenants are between me and Heavenly Father. It's not part of my covenants to see if you're living your covenants. Exactly. And exactly. And so I love what you just said and how you know relieving that is to sort of just say, I the thing I can control here is how I treat people. Right. And early on, I remember, I mean, I've known a lot of women over the years who, you know, they're so sad because some of their kids aren't active and it's always this burden. And I thought... I have a 14-year-old gay son. I am not going to spend my life being sad that my son is not active in the church. Because at that time, I really, that and what the therapist has said to me, that's what I assumed was going to happen. But I thought, I'm not going to be all sad about this. I'm just going to believe that for whatever reason, this is God's plan A for them and for me. I don't know if it's part of a plan to teach all of us who think we know everything to be more loving. I don't know if it's just a genetic thing. Um, I don't know. But I really feel like I was, I just thought I'm not going to spend my life being sad about this. I'm just going to support and love. And it's been, it's been a great journey for me. I feel like I'm a better person because of these kids, because it's exposed me to people I probably wouldn't have interacted with. I was very, you know, I was very active in the church and that can take all the time if you, (laughs) if you let it. And so I'm able to interact with people and see different journeys and people who, I guess my previous worldview was everyone should be in the church. That's the optimal place and no matter what. And now I'm thinking, I'm watching people and go, wow, like God just has a plan for everyone in different spaces. And it's all about our relationship with him to follow where he leads us and how we can serve best. And so I can let some of that go and not spend my life feeling horrible that it's not working out the way it was supposed to. I like that. And you've gone deep to get to this. And yeah. I think it's helpful for our listeners, um, especially parents that are early on this road and have a child that stepped away for whatever reason. And I remember thinking about this one day and thinking, well, if God's okay with 99% of his children not being in our restored church, then I'm going to be okay with that too. Exactly. And yeah, I believe that he, some people's journey is to be find the church. And, and you saw that on your mission 
I've seen that in my life, and I'm very at peace with that. And I've also been at peace as I've just tried to... Um, I've been at peace if some people need to step away, to just leave that. I mourn a little bit when people step away. I want I want the church to work for everybody. It certainly works for me. But I'm just learning to do what you did, be at peace with that, leave it at the Savior's feet, um, make my relationship with them not about my love for them to bring them back, but just my love for them because they deserve to be loved and try to see their and then try to see their strengths and attributes and contributions and and keep them connected with God if they can. Even if the church isn't working, I felt a strong impression if people are leaving to try to keep them connected with God and to create a feeling that I believe is doctrinally accurate that God loves all of his children and will and nothing that they can do can really take them outside of God's love and their desire and his desire to help them. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you 100% and I do believe that when we see people as God's children and love them for who they are wherever they are, we can be more helpful to them if, you know, if we if we seem like a person who is of God and loves them completely and doesn't try to judge their decisions or try to push them in a different way, if we can just accept people for who they are. I think it's like um, Lisa said about if they feel safe, they hear God's call to them. And I, I totally agree with you. As I started thinking about that whole 99% and how many people are in the church and of the people who are on the rolls, how many people are doing all the things. And it just, and the more people that I meet and, you know, and the beautiful ideas and concepts that come from other faith leaders and, you know, Buddha and just all these things I learned, I just feel like there's so, God is so big. There's so much love and goodness. And he, he has a way for all of his children. The church was great for me my whole life. My family wasn't active when I was growing up. And so I just kind of went and I said, I'm going on a mission. I'm going to go to the temple. And and they are now. But it was so great for me. It was BYU was great. EFY was great. It was all great. And now when I have these kids that don't fit, I just figured they would all do what I did and they would all go to missions. And and so it's harder for me now um, when I don't see a place for them. But I, but I feel comforted that... Um, God's bigger than this, and He has a way to, to guide yeah. us. And I wish we could put our arms around you in an increasing way and recognize how difficult it is to have LGBTQ children in our church. And instead of not talking to you or not knowing what to say, I wish you could come to church and just feel the balm of Gilead and recognize that this is a really hard road for an LDS parent. And Sunday would be your very best day, and we just sort of kind of— and that we'd even learn to put our arms around your children that step away and just say they probably need increased love if they feel like they need to leave because they probably don't want to. They probably love to be able to fit in and belong. And um, and so I just think that's probably one of the goals of this podcast. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love is to try to create um, a better understanding to do that by hearing your story. We need to hear your story and and your two LGBTQ kids That's to help us know how to do that. Yeah, and I think you made an important point to assume that people don't want to leave. And I think for the most part, a lot of the people that I know, it's a really hard thing. But for whatever reason, whether they feel like you know, a lot of I know a lot of moms who end up leaving over this issue, a lot of mom and dragons, because they feel like that's how they can be most supportive of their children. And, and as they look at the children and their youth, a lot of them do better if they aren't 
hearing, you know, the doctrine that makes them feel like there's something wrong with them, especially over this recent years with the policy. But to just assume that, of course, they want to be a part of a community where everyone, you know, they know everyone, people are loving and supportive. I mean, I feel that way when I, you know, I don't always go. Sometimes I'm with my other kids. And of course, I, I've always loved it. It's been a great thing for me. And so it's, it's heartbreaking. It's a deep, deep heartbreak to lose that vision of, you know, you think of all your kids in the temple together and we're all going to be there for all the weddings. And, and all of a sudden everything changes, all the expectations. And, and, and God has so many more things and so much goodness, but it's a hard transition for everyone I've talked to. Talk about Elder Potter. If you were on the podcast, this is a leading question. You're speaking for your son in Ukraine. I would think he's a better missionary for having a transgender sister and a gay brother. And it's been able to help him be a more thoughtful missionary. Do you have any... Is that true? Is there any stories or feelings you felt from him? Or Yeah, I think so. He's mentioned a couple times when people have made some homophobic comments that he found offensive. Some missionaries, actually. And... Um, I think he was able to talk some talk with some of them and, you know, just try and share a different perspective because it's easy to otherize people or make them the enemy, like you were saying earlier. Um, but he has a different perspective because it's like, wait a minute, that's my brother and he's not that and he's not Satan, he's not evil. Um, so I think it's given him a little more compassion and open-mindedness about that issue. That's good. And I bet he's helped missionaries that sometimes at that stage are pretty teachable. Yeah. I think of Brene Brown's common enemy intimacy. Exactly. Where if the bond we form is just that we hate the same group people. people, we actually feel a legitimate bond. It can be intense and gratifying, but it's not the fuel for real connection, to right. paraphrase her. And mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't really help us in the long run. So sometimes that's back to my mission president. If the common bond we share is just we hate the Church of England, that brings us together and that creates intimacy and connection. But it doesn't really equal the gospel of Jesus Christ and perhaps the higher law where we can just stand for the, our doctrine of our church is so powerful. Heavenly parents that love us, a plan of salvation, a savior. I just think like Elder Uchtdorf probably does the best this to lead with that. It's a, yeah. And versus sometimes, you know, that the other message that's more of right othering. and Yeah. And to come from a place of people are inherently good and they want yeah. goodness. They want love and connection and family. And I know for a fact that that's all, that's what my two kids wanted. They wanted to get married in the temple and have families. I remember, you know, a couple of conversations where it was just despair. Like, what am I supposed to do? And I think if we can just allow to, you know, allow that thought, they're not trying to destroy anyone's families or yeah. marriages. They're not trying to tear down society. They just want to have the same thing. And if they can't have it in the way that we've taught them, they're supposed to have it. If we allow them a path forward, they'll be healthier. Our communities will be healthier because they can have stable families instead of feeling like there's no place for them. And then they make unhealthy decisions and self-destructive behavior. And I like, I'm glad you connected with Lisa Hansen. If any of our listeners are listening, she's done a couple podcasts you can scan through. Mm. She did one totally on our transgender friends. And oh. it was just very interesting for her and talking about the things that you're talking about with gender dysphoria. So those are two good podcasts you could scroll back on our list of podcasts. She's remarkable and has really helped me. Um, I had another thought that just slipped my brain, so I'll, it'll come back. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, talk about um, you've got this wonderful career going on. What caused you to become a city council member in Heber City and then run and win for mayor? So I um, I don't know if that's a career. I don't know if you do it. Full, yeah, I, assume I, don't you, I don't know if you do it full time and have other stuff going on. Yeah, I do actually. Theoretically, do it part time. But so a few years ago, um, my kids were getting all into school, and I was going to do something to supplement our income. And I went back to get a master's degree. And at the same time, some people said, "Hey, why don't you run for city council?" Which I hadn't done anything in local government, but I used to teach government um, in high school. And I worked for Governor Levitt for a time. So I'd always been involved and studied or taught government. So um, some people talked me into it, came over to my house. They said, look, we'll pay your filing fee. And I said, I don't know. So anyway, they talked me into it, helped my campaign, and somehow I won that. So after, You won? Yeah, I won. How many people are on the city council? There are five council members. And at the time, there were two seats open, and we had eight candidates. And so... I won that one. So after four years of watching things, I thought, all right, we got to make some changes. And I decided, and some people talked me to, wanted me to do that too, but I thought, okay, I'm either going to run and win and be able to do some things differently, or I'll just be done because it was too frustrating, some of the things going on. So anyway, so here I am on year two of being the mayor, and it's been great. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, our, our family is a relative of Celeste Johnson, the Midway, oh, yeah. the mm -hmm. mayor of yeah. Midway, and I was confused because I thought you're running against each other. Seat. Yeah, I so remember I kept, that. I, I was on Facebook you. and I kept seeing you to campaign, and I wasn't following it close enough. You're actually oh, yeah. running in two different cities in uh, Wasatch County. So then you yeah. both said you won, and it really confused me. I thought you can't both <laughs> How win. Can you both win. And I finally started to read Facebook posts close closer and realized you won oh, for different, different cities. Yeah, we call ourselves sister mayors because sister we, mayors. <laughs> we get to be on a lot of the same um, boards, and so it's fun. She's great to work with. It's so really and is, she, is that a four year term for Celeste? Yeah, Mayor yeah, Johnson. We're on the same schedule. Mm -hmm. That's great. I do remember the thought, and then I want to talk about, I remember the thought that came to my mind, and it yeah, on my long walks in the morning, I think a lot about this topic, and I thought, you know, there's lots of ways to do living off the covenant path, so to speak. Um, we sometimes just talk about the covenant path and being off, but I think it's okay to have a conversation of how you do off the covenant path, and there's some really, there's better ways to do that and some worse ways to do that. Yes. And... Um, when you talk about self-medicating, that is a logical thing that happens if you feel shame and you feel mm -hmm. you don't belong. And and so that can lead to some really darker paths off the covenant path and other healthier paths where right. you're emotionally healthy, you have a relationship with God, mm -hmm. um, and you're making good decisions in your life. So sometimes I don't really want anybody to leave the covenant path, but on a practical way, if and I certainly saw this as a YSA bishop as I worked with a lot of people's quote unquote not on the covenant path. I sometimes let them set the agenda of what we wanted to accomplish. Mm. One guy just wanted to get off meth. You know, he was, that's what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, how can I help you? That was a lot, that was a good thing. He didn't particularly want to fully align himself with the church. And I didn't make that sort of a requirement to, yeah. to walk with him as he tried to get off meth. Uh, you know, if he wanted to join ISIS and that was his goal, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't walked with him, him on with that. that. Right. So right. I think you're doing a good, good job of, of sort of pragmatically recognizing, well, if this isn't going to work, quote unquote, the covenant path or the church plan that I want to be in my kid's life 
and connecting with people like Lisa Hanser and Circle or other Mm -hmm. groups that can help them make really thoughtful decisions in a very difficult space. Because if the church isn't working out for you and that path isn't working, it's really hard. Yeah. So that's just a thought that I think you're doing a good job of. Talk about it's we're just coming out of Pride Month. And one day I was watching the news or reading the paper or Facebook, and I recognized that Heber City had pride flags up. And just a note, you know, my last, uh, our son played in Cottonwood High School. And we went up and played Heber City High School, or I guess Wasatch. Wasatch. And I was in that beautiful stadium in that small town on a fall night, and I just fell in love with that community. And I hope everybody feels, I realize your two kids didn't fit in. And I hope that, you know, our LGBTQ kids in Heber City can fit in. But there's so much good going on. Um, Our high school got destroyed by Wasatch. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You have a very good football team. But I love the feeling I felt there. So talk about how this small city of 15,000, how this came about. and, And here you are, the mayor, in the middle of this. Yeah, so a woman in our community named Allison Phillips Belknap, um, who identifies as an LGBTQ um, woman, she had this idea of doing, there's a rainbow flag thing where people buy them for their own houses. And I guess she got the idea too late, so that wouldn't work out. So then she was driving down Main Street and thought, I wonder if we could just make some flags and have them hung up. And so she contacted me and, and I looked into it and because our policy... I mean, I think it's just because we're a small town. We haven't had anything controversial happen. So we haven't really made any formal policy except um, if there's space and it's not commercial. And and so if the people go to the public works department and if they're a little concerned about it, they'll ask me or the city manager. And this was the first time. And I said, yeah, I said, I view it as a civil rights issue. Um, If they would have come to me with Martin Luther King flags or Black History Month, I would have approved it. And I felt like to do otherwise would be discrimination. So I said, yes. I think it's fine. And I went to my city council and I said, we've had this request and I approved it and they're going to be going up for the month of June. And no one said a word about it. So they went up and by day two- How many flags went up? I think there were 50. So there's 50 all along that beautiful street, that wide- Yeah. And they're beautiful flags. It says pride in the Wasatch back and the rainbow and they're beautiful. Um, But by day two, there was some stir from people who weren't happy about it that were going to come and speak at our city council meeting. And at that point, that's when the media picked it up. We had Fox 13 there and some radio stations. And and there were some people who were not happy about it and clearly really unhappy. I mean, I've had a lot of... um, I would say 90% of the comments overall are positive. Like a lot of really tender people saying they pulled over and cried. People who grew up there and said, I can't believe this. I'm so grateful and thank you. And a lot of emails to me and the council thanking us for allowing that. People telling their stories. But some that were angry and upset and said, well, then if you do that, I want to ask for some anti-porn flags or some anti-immunization flags or anti-abortion flags. And so because of those comments, I assume that at some point our council will make a new policy and define it a little more carefully, but they haven't. Um, The ACLU wrote a letter to me saying, because they knew that some people were asking us to take them down. And they said, if you take them down, you're going to be discriminating. And they, you know, use some, some language, which they did a press release, which attracted more media attention. 
So I did interview on all the news stations and with the Desert News. Interestingly, I sent a text to my son, Daniel, my gay son. And he, I said, Daniel, I've got an interview with Channel 5 and I've got to do this Desert News photo shoot and I haven't had my hair done for a long time. And he's like, Mom, why do you get yourself in these situations? And I said, what am I supposed to do? I'm the mayor. And he said, you're important now. You've got to have regular hair appointments and you've got to always be able to be looking good. And I felt go, so Daniel. classic from Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel would always help me with those things. Anyway, so Just I... Just that moment. Isn't it cool you were texting your son? Yeah. And, and it, you were talking yeah. about the pride flags in Heber City. And it was cool because I hadn't told him and he happened to come to Heber for something. And he's like, Mom, <laughs> he couldn't believe it. And another friend who, a, a sweet lesbian girl that lived on our street who ended up moving away was so grateful when she saw them. And so it was fun to hear from these kids who I had watched grow up and really struggle in that community to have them see those flags and feel some moment of, you know, acceptance and love from the community. And tell us um, any more of the stories that were tender for you that just opened conversations because these flags were up. So on the second, so we had a meeting the second day, the flags were up and there were some, there was a man actually who'd come in the first day who was very angry and he was looking for me and he had yelled at some people and was really upset. And so he said, I'm coming to your meeting to speak. And, um, the woman who paid for the flags and, you know, made the request stood up and she told her story about how many years she had struggled and had some suicide attempts and finally just realized she had to accept herself. And this was just some idea that came to her. And that man got up and hugged her and he stood up and he said, I came here to complain about this and express my um, opposition, but I've changed my mind. He said, um, if she can stand up and tell that, and if this will help one person, he said, I still think they should be in people's yards, but I do see it differently now. So it was, that was very tender. Um, two weeks after that, a sweet little boy who is 13, he started a GSA at the middle school. He came, he asked me if he could come and speak and he'd written this speech and he said, you know, I'm just, I was so happy when school got out and I started thinking, why am I so happy? And then he said, oh yeah, now I don't have to have kids bullying me in the hallways or I don't have to have kids um, coming up to me and saying, who are you gay with? And he kind of told some stories of things that had happened to him and he is adorable. Um, and he said he was walking down the street and saw those flags and just felt you know, really grateful to just see that. I think what it did in our community, it created a conversation. It allowed some people who were allies, but didn't feel like they could say anything to be able to say things on, identify themselves. I just shared a little thing on Facebook and it, it was shared like 400 times and there were hundreds of comments and a lot of people who, um, I had someone contact me and just say, I had no idea. I mean, they said, I would never dare to say anything, but thank you so much. So there've been a lot of stories like that and people who, you know, saw this little boy in that meeting and said, how brave of you to be able to do that. Um, so a couple stories of people who were adults that grew up there and said, I would, I wouldn't come back, but maybe now I will. Or someone from park city said, you know, my friend said they would never come back to Utah, but maybe now they will. So I guess, I guess it's caused a conversation to happen that wasn't happening and some people to be able to stand up and say, yeah, I'm an ally and maybe some other people to feel like they have more friends than they thought they did. It's really cool. Allison Belknap, what you started and Mayor Potter, what you supported and the conversations. I have to think that the conversations is the big win. I have to think that 
in congregations and homes and schools. I'm thinking of the football team. Maybe they had some conversations. And, yeah. and I think that helps people learn. It's an educational issue that often that flag will kick off a discussion mm-hmm. and cause people to do better. I love this quote of yours. Um, um, of this is we want to be a community of caring people showing kindness and acceptance for marginalized people who haven't been accepted in the past. I think that's your quote. Yeah. <laughs> and I just what flip for me is just I don't think of LGBTQ people community as a different group of people. I always have. I always created a visual of a different group of people on a different road that somehow were uh, that I had othered or were threatening mm-hmm. to me and and now I you know, for the people of Heber City, and like you're trying to do, is just th- these are own people. Allison lives with us, and mm-hmm. and this other fellow that spoke up, and and what's our responsibility then to our own people to f- help them feel welcome and included, and also how our community grow by hearing their voices and having them fully engaged. And to me, that's not society going downhill; that's society improving. I think so too. I really do. I've had friends say they'd be with their families and maybe their parents would make a homophobic remark and they would say, wait a minute, my friend's son, Daniel, or, you know, so they, because of talking to me and going through all this had become more sensitive and were able to have those conversations with other people. And I think that's probably what's happening in our community as I hear some of these stories. And, and I met the cute little group. They have a Facebook group of LGBTQ people in Wasatch County and they had a little party last weekend. And how I many went, are, how many are in that group? Just curious. You know, I'm not even sure. There probably aren't more than 50 in the Facebook group. And at the party, there were 12, maybe. They're not very many people, but two different, three different couples, I think. But they were just telling some stories and how, you know, they're afraid to hold hands or to put up a flag because they said, you just don't know if you're going to lose your job. You don't know who will hate you or possibly hurt you. And one of them, a gentleman who has traveled and done a lot of things very you know, throughout the country said this was such a big win because he grew up there and was treated so poorly and he felt so grateful and proud of the community to be able to have those flags. And for me, it's, I mean, it's worth taking any kind of hit that I'm taking because I think they have to take those things most of their lives, especially these older couples. I mean, one couple said that the people across the street after marriage was legalized put on Facebook, um, Satan's spawn lives across the street from us. And there are just these two wonderful, kind gentlemen. Um, And so to think of the kind of things that they have to hear and endure um, and to maybe nudge that a little bit further in a direction of understanding and acceptance and kindness to me is what I'm hoping is the outcome of all of this. You're willing to step into complicated spaces and be a leader. We admire you. Thank you. One of the questions that's now that Pride Month is over, why do we do Pride Month? Um, You know, I've even for the first time this year heard straight pride. We don't have, you know, a month that celebrates all this that are straight. And we should, we have three chairs around the table. Coincidentally, we should have a third chair right now for an LGBTQ person to tell us why Pride Mm -hmm. Month is necessary. But any thoughts on that? As you're just speaking for LGBTQ people, why it's appropriate to have pride? Yeah, I guess from my my learning, because initially I like when Lisa Hansen mentioned, I was like, what? Why would I go to that? Because I think it's viewed as this flamboyant, um, over sexualized, you know, crude thing to a lot of people. And the, and the first time I went, um, I found it very touching. I found it a deeply spiritual experience for me because I saw tears. I saw people 
as Mama Dragons, we have a hugging booth and take turns just being there to hug people. And people will say, oh, I wish I could get a hug from my mom. Or they can't believe that there would be, I was in the Mormons Building Bridges group my first year, and they can't believe that there would be Mormons that would come to that. And I guess you just see a lot of people who have been pushed to the margins, and you can't judge what people do when when they've been treated poorly. And so I just saw past that, and I saw a lot of hearts um, who needed to be celebrated. There are people, I mean, to this day, I have people continually telling me they have gay children, we don't talk about it. They don't talk. They don't, they, their coworkers don't know. The grandparents don't talk about it. And I'm thinking, here's a child who thinks I am so bad and broken that we can't even talk about this. And, you know, everyone else, you're like, hey, you're going to prom and you talk about their dating. But with these kids, we just don't talk about it. I mean, that is not healthy for them to feel like somehow they're, and that's, that just brings about shame. And silence brings about shame. And silence feeds shame. So that's why I feel like talking about and having a Pride Month where not only are the people who deserve to be celebrated for who they are able to go somewhere and feel completely accepted and not just tolerated, but accepted and celebrated. Um, but then other people have to, you know, think about that a little bit during that time. But but I do. I think just the feeling of thinking, I'm okay. I'm, I'm actually great. And I'm loved and accepted. I think is really important for everyone to be celebrated. And these are people who have not only not been celebrated, but they've been looked down upon or excluded and generally treated poorly. And it's, I think it's a great thing to celebrate them. I agree with you. And a few thoughts are coming through my mind. I love this quote from Brene Brown. And I think about the context of Pride Month, it's regarding black lives. Black Lives Matter is a movement to rehumanize black people. Um, all lives matter, but all lives don't need to be pulled back into moral inclusion. Exactly. You've heard that, I'll bet. Yeah. And so I think of Pride Month and I think, well, it's sort of like parallel to all lives matter is sort of what me as a white guy might say and say, well, let's just all say all lives matter. Why do we have to have black lives matter? But as I listen to black people talk about that issue instead of white people, I realize that they've had a harder road. And I love this visual of they need to be pulled back into moral inclusion. And mm -hmm. so I think of of the need for pride to help our LGBTQ members pulled back into moral inclusion. And, and maybe once that's accomplished, we don't need pride parades. Exactly. I'm hoping there is a day when it would be like, do you remember when we used to have those parades and we needed to have, you know, all these things and coming out and it just becomes sort of a normal, just it's variation. It's just a variation of what different people experience and the way they're wired. And I think that's great. And um, you're familiar with Ben Shalati. I yeah. want to just, he came out with an article today. We're taping this in early July and and for anybody, he's an active LDS gay man connected to BYU, just finished graduate work there. And you can find him at benshilati.blogspot.com, S-C-H-I-L-A-T-Y. But the title of his blog post today is Pride is the Opposite of Shame. And this is just what you've been teaching us, Kayleen. And uh, he says, pride is the opposite of shame. The Thetharis, sorry about that, lists the first three antonyms of pride as depression, gloom, and melancholy. Mm -hmm. And you know that's where your two kids have been. Mm -hmm. And that's not where Heavenly Father wants them to be. And so he goes on to just talk about his own journey. You know, I remember in my 20s when I've been relieved if I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. 
I would have been free from same-sex attraction, my suffering would have been over, and I could die a, a hero. Being dead and straight was a better option than being alive and gay. That's what shame did to me. It wanted me to be dead. Overcoming the shame took years. The antonyms of pride, once again, depression, gloom, and melancholy were often present. And then she just talks about, um, just paraphrasing some of this. Imagine, instead, I imagine a mom who once was uncomfortable and shamed to have a gay son who now is saying, I love my son, all of him. When I see my friends dressed in rainbow colors marching down the street, I don't see them as being flamboyant, but I see them celebrating the desire to live, a desire that they may not have always had, and I'm grateful. And that's what you're doing for your son. But then in this blog post, and I don't want to read it all, you know, Ben's somebody, I think every LGBTQ person, an ally, needs to find their road. He's not, he says, I'm not a big parade guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, It so. just doesn't work for me. And um, But he did talk about in Tucson marching with the Mormons building bridges banner in that parade, um, that pride parade in his Sunday best. We walked down the 4th Avenue. I distinctly felt the presence of the Holy Ghost. Spectators shouted, the Mormons are here, and we were cheered and cheered. It was a deeply moving experience to me to be in a pride parade dressed as a Latter-day Saint. And it just talks about we belonged, um, the least of any group there, and yet we still belonged. And those who saw us were adamant that we belonged, and they were glad we were there. No one is ashamed of our presence. And he just goes on to talk about that's what... Um, and he says, I hope any LGBTQ person who attends church will feel as welcomed as I felt at that pride parade. Um, and he says, and if the world make, if the word pride makes you feel uncomfortable, here are some synonyms. I barely know the difference between an antonym and a synonym. I'm so bad at English, but synonyms, I think, are words that are similar. Same. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah. Um, here are some synonyms that it might be easier to relate to. Dignity self-respect, honor. Gay dignity means that I'm comfortable being myself around other. Gay self-respect means that I welcome all parts of me as important ingredients to who I am. Gay honor means that I no longer want to die because of my sexuality. June was a healing, celebrating month for so many people. I hope that we can celebrate our lives and those who we are, who we want to become throughout the year. And I hope that every person, especially those We've been previously weighed down by shame. The very thing you've been talking about, Kayleen, is feel an overwhelming sense of dignity, self-respect, and honor. Any it's thoughts beautiful. on Ben's blog? He nailed it. I mean, that's just beautiful. His words are perfect. It's just, um, it's just so hard to um, to know for those of us who haven't experienced this, the toll that it takes on someone's spirit to feel shame and to feel like there's something wrong with them and to be able to whatever it takes whether it's pride parades or you know flags or anything to help them think i'm okay which we all just kind of take for granted yeah, i'm okay i'm a woman I'm, i like men like those are just things i haven't even had to think about for a second and then to have a child to have this inconvenient truth and and watch it just eat away at his sweet little soul as a young, young child when they're all just trying to find out who they are and where they fit. And then to look around and think he doesn't fit and then to watch what that did to him. We're lucky he didn't get involved in drugs and things yeah. like that, but that it did kind of derail him academically. So I just think that's beautiful. I think 
I think there's a place for pride. I think, yeah, there's things that some people are going to be uncomfortable with the way people dress, but they're just expressing who they are. They're exploring. Sometimes, you know, it, it's maybe they explore and then go, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm not really into prides and parades anymore. I mean, I, I've heard people, I've heard gay people say, I don't really need, think we need pride. Can't we just live our lives? And some are like that, but I think there's a definite place for it and seems to get bigger and bigger where there's a lot of allies and more people feel safe coming out. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, and it's just there's not many ways to connect. I remember Erica Munson that you would know mm. from Mormons Building Bridges writing an opinion piece, and I read that a few years ago, and she says, I just felt impressed. I wanted to step in the space, and I so I had to meet them where they were. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole origins, as you know, from Mormons Building Bridges, marching in pride parades because there's nothing else to do. Yeah. And she, like you, says sometimes it's uncomfortable. There's a little too much skin. I think she uses that word in her opinion right. piece. but. I just have to meet people where they are and show them I love them. Yeah. And so I love what Mormons Building Bridges has done. Um, it's interesting. If you want to hear more of Ben, please go to his blog or he's done a couple podcasts. But he is the you know active LDS celibate gay guy in his 30s. So he is doing that. Mm. But there's a he's. it's interesting when you talk to Ben, and I have, and I asked him, how do you feel about people that step away? He has the most empathy um, for that because he knows how difficult it is. It's fascinating to listen to Ben. So here you've got your son, Daniel, who stepped away. And, you know, Ben can speak to this on prior podcasts, but he understands how difficult this road. Mm-hmm. So he would he's the most empathetic. That's interesting for me when I talk to mm-hmm. LGBTQ people that are in the church. They're the ones that seem to be the least triggered and the most have the most empathy for those that step away. Because they know how difficult it is. Yes. And I think that's revealing um, to talk to people on this very road about how difficult it is, even those that stay. And it gives me more empathy for those that step away. And I take Ben's lead and others that are active in the church. um, They're LGBTQ um, because they seem to understand how difficult the space is. And and sometimes, like Ben says in his blogs, how difficult it is to be at church because sometimes you become the othered mm-hmm. and the reason for downfall of society and we make you the bogeyman. <laughs> yep, that's tough to be that, the so, bad guy. And when you look at, you know, you look at the Savior and how he taught in his life and how he himself ranked the commandments and basically said, you can do all these things, but if you don't love people, then none of this really matters. And and some of these LGBT people that I've seen reach out to my kids, um, Berta, who also took her life, was such a dear to Faye. And when Faye was going through struggles and she was coming up with ways that they could do you know, this online gaming or write this comic thing. And I thought she of all people, you know, with the struggle she was going through, she showed Christ-like love. And when I think if, if I look at values and the core of just being loving and kind and honest, I don't, I'm not worried if someone doesn't dress modestly or they have too many earrings or some of the things that we tend to judge people on these external appearances. To me, the Savior was with all these people on the fringes and showing love and saying, you know, no, I really mean this. These are people that you guys have decided aren't okay. And he was out there showing love to them. So to me, it's just been such a, a learning process. It's, um, you know, helped me, I believe, become a better person through watching how 
um, watching just this unconditional love from the mama dragons, from these LGBT people who have been hurt. I watched them. I mean, even during this flag thing, it was these lesbian women going, are you okay, Kelleen? How can we help you? Are you okay if you need someone to talk to? I'm thinking they're reaching out to me because um, they were sensitive enough to know the kind of things I might be hearing and the way I might be treated through this. They were reaching out to me. I thought it was just beautiful. So, How would you feel if you're not reelected over this issue? It's okay. It really is okay. Like I, I've thought about that and I thought I, I, I did what I feel was right. I, I mean, it's okay if it costs me an election. I'm fine with that. It's a good answer. I just think you sleep well at night. Yeah. And you know the good that you've created. And I hope if you run again, I don't, <laughs> this yeah. isn't a podcast where we right. have people state their political <laughs> goals. We've never done that before. But <laughs> if you decide to run again, I hope that this, um, ends up being a, a thing that's well received in the community yeah. and it sounds like the majority have and it's brought your community together and help your community mature yeah i think it's you know it's mixed but i do believe that the more good and i think um yeah i didn't really make the political calculation of would this cost me an election good um, for you because i believe that the odds of this happening the way that it did where she felt impressed to do it, that I happened to be in a position that we happened to be a city that hadn't worked through any real detailed policy because we hadn't had an issue. And I was able to do that. I felt like there was, it was divine. I feel like, um, you know, I know there are people that would feel like I was blasphemous saying that in Hebrew, but I feel like it was divine. And I feel like that that. it was something that needed to happen and go through the conversations. There may be lives saved because of conversations that happen. Yeah, I believe that. I really believe that. And that's certainly what we want. And interestingly, one last point, our high school, all the high school students in Utah take a survey every year, this sharp survey, and they identify what some of the issues are. And for for our high school, mental health was one of the top three issues that we're facing. And there's research that shows that these LGBT kids in schools are like a canary in a coal mine, where if they are accepted and treated well, the rates of depression and anxiety for all kids go down. I even had an email from a very active member of my ward, an older gentleman, and said, thank you for doing that. He said, I have a grandson who's autistic, and he's been bullied so much, he hardly talks anymore. And he said, I believe that showing more love and acceptance in this way will trickle down to other kids. And I've had that comment from several people where they feel like they tell me how their kids have been treated or they were treated and they feel like it just sort of shifts people. I had someone tell me when they're out running, if they think if something bad happens, oh, there's a rainbow flag, I'd go to that house because I know that they would be accepting. So I think there's just so many so many interesting stories around it, but anyway. I do love the flag. Um, I know um, several people with LGBTQ kids active in the church that have put the rainbow flag up, or those that aren't, don't that are that don't have an LGBTQ kid. And yeah. earlier, the two big stories from Utah are what happened in Heber City and then what happened in Sandy, Utah, with the Donna hose that put up, you know, that got the whole community there oh, in yeah. Sandy, Utah. And we had them on an earlier podcast, but just all those rainbow flags in Sandy, Utah, as they shared, created all these conversations. And this wonderful dear woman who had a gay son and never been able to talk about with her neighbors, just that conversation just opened up. And mm-hmm. um, an elders corn president that, um, be, that that allowed him to have a conversation with someone he was ministering to because that elders corn president was perceived as safe because he had a flag up. Mm-hmm. And I know when I said kind things on social media as a singles word bishop about LGBTQ people, it was fascinating because I didn't have the two or three that were already out were 
I didn't have any more come out, but the straight YSAs said, okay, I can talk to him about this stuff. Exactly, because he's not going to be judgmental. Yeah. He's going to be accepting and loving and understanding. So I never connected those dots, yes. Kayleen. And mm-hmm. when that happened, that was very insightful to me. And they said, Bishop, I've never talked to anybody about this. Yes. And they were straight and yeah. they just knew that I could handle what mm-hmm. they needed to talk about. Exactly. And so, you know, what a great, and that's what Christ did when uh, we have the Pool of Bethesda painting in this podcast room, our front room. And, I love that. And so Christ, when he's with the people at the Pool of Bethesda, what does a message just does that send everybody about him mm-hmm. and who he is and what, so that's what you're doing in Hebrew City with your family and with the community. And I think... As we look at the doctrine of Christ, there is a doctrinal foundation to do what you're doing. Um, and so that's where I think we'll just make progress as a society and, and in our church. And um, I look at it as a 20-chapter book. We just have more chapters to write. I support mm-hmm. our leaders. I know that's hard for every ally and every parent of an LGBTQ child because when your child doesn't have a place, it's, it's hard sometimes. So I understand that. But... I just think we have more chapters to write, and I think chapter 20 is sort of when a mom like you that has straight kids and LGBTQ kids, chapter 20 is when you have no fear. You know, your gay son and your trans daughter, when they came out, you have no fear. Just like your straight kids, and you know exactly how they fit in the plan of salvation. Church is the balm of Gilead equally. Society is the balm of Gilead equally. And to me, I don't sit in the general councils of the church to know how we get there. Um, I I think that God would want us to get there. I believe that. And we just have more work to do. So what you're doing and hopefully hearing these stories and then honoring LGBT kids that feel they need to step away and just say, okay, we'll honor you. Um, Take God with you. (laughs) Keep them in our family circle. Help them to be emotionally safe and just do the things you're doing, I think, is what we do. Any concluding thoughts, Kayleen, before we close? Oh, wow. Yeah, I think we've covered we've covered a lot. Um, yeah, I think what you said is true. I think there are people who will stay and make a difference in these conversations. There are people who will have to leave the church for their own mental health. Like some people are just so different, sensitive to different things and see it in a different way. I know people within marriages where one just can't do it and the other one can. But um, I think it, yeah, I think that hopefully everyone will be able to look at the way the Savior treated people and make the church a safe place. Because I know some wards are safer than others for LGBT people. Um, I know, you know, I know people that go to church every week. I know my married gay friend in California. And, you know, you look at the leader of affirmation, John Gustav Rathal, and they go and they're accepted and welcomed. And so I know there are people that go and have a good experience. I know there are other people that just feel like they can't be there because it makes them feel bad about themselves. It makes them feel, it's harder to feel like they connect with God. They feel anxiety. I mean, I'll be honest, I struggle too, because I think of things through the eyes of my kids now and through other people's eyes. And so um, the more we can just love and reach out and we don't have to know what to say. You can just say, we love you. We've known you for many years and I know you're going through something hard. We love you and we care about you. And I think as a church, we will find that there are a lot of people that would appreciate that. Thank you, Kayleen Potter, uh, Mayor Potter, (laughs) for being on the podcast, driving down to Salt Lake City at our home and for who you are and all you're doing and your wonderful five children and 
the good you're doing in Heber City, and thank you, our listeners. We um, appreciate the reviews we're getting. I'm going to... No, I'm not. I've thought of starting to read these reviews just to um, let you know how much I appreciate them, so I may do that, but... I think especially if you're listening on iTunes, Apple, uh, if you write a review, I think it's helpful for other listeners to share your honest thoughts about the podcast. We appreciate all of you that are listening. It's hard to know how many are listening. I can see on SoundCloud where we post them and then it feeds out to all other platforms that 3,000 people after just a few days will listen to an episode, what we're tracking on SoundCloud. I believe most of you aren't listening on SoundCloud. So I'm really honored and grateful, but it's a real credit to our guests because that's really who you've come to hear um, for them bravely sharing their stories. But we're all thankful for you, our listeners, that are listening and sharing the podcast with others. You can't donate. This is a labor of love just to bring stories of our LGBTQ people to life. So thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.